All right, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whom, with whose young men, or excuse me, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that I say, all that you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and when his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he, will, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. She lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time to come together to uh, study your word, to get to know you more. Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal your heart to us, that you would give to us wisdom, uh, that you would uh, speak through me, give me wisdom and guidance, and uh, Lord, speak to all of our hearts, uh, draw us closer to you, give us wisdom and guidance. We love you and praise your name. Amen. All right, so before I jump into chapter 3, just because there, it's been a little bit of time, uh, let's do a quick recap. Starting with the fact uh, that these are the words of God. This is from Scripture, and Scripture is God's written word. Uh, it is not just a, this right here, this Bible, this collection of books, is not just, um, you know, one big book of pithy sayings or wonderful stories. This is actually the Word of God. Uh, and so, as we read through Ruth, keep that in mind, because it can be easy, as we read through Scripture, uh, to 
uh, do one of two things. Either, like, say, for Ruth, uh, for instance, Ruth is, is a fun story to read. It's a romantic story. Uh, and if you are um, a romantic and you enjoy those type of stories, then Ruth can be kind of a fun story to read. Um, but this is about real people. Uh, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, they really existed. Elimelech, they were real people. These things really happened to them. Uh, it was kind of funny. We were listening to a Bible audio book um, with our kids here recently, and Nathan turned and looked at me, and you know, the story was kind of intense. And uh, he goes, did this really happen? And I had to say, yes, this, this really did happen. This is for real, because he's used to listening to, to different stories, you know, uh, whatever it may be, watching movies, et cetera, and he knows that those are not real, that they're just stories. But this, what we are listening to, is more than just a story. And the reality struck him that this, this is real. This really happened. This is not just a story that is fun to listen to. Just a reminder, Ruth is during the time of the judges. Ruth, like Esther, the book of Esther, uh, does not directly, uh, the characters do not directly interact with God, unlike other books in the Bible. Uh, there's, there's, in one sense, kind of an absence of God's presence. Um, though, as you read through Scripture, uh, as you read through the book of Ruth, just like in Esther, you see that God's hand is very apparent if you're looking for it. But Ruth, again, is t- uh, during the time of the judges and like during the time of Esther, that was when the people of Israel had fallen away from God. Uh, they had become faithless. And so that is one of the reasons that you see kind of this absence of God's direct presence, uh, you know, where people are directly speaking to God. But one of the main uh, points of Ruth, like the rest of Scripture, like the rest of the Bible, is to point to Jesus. Uh, as you go through Ruth, uh, there is a reason that Ruth was recorded, not only for our edification, because there is much to learn through the book of Ruth. It's, it's funny, every time I, I sit down to do a study in one of the chapters, I think, okay, yeah, this one should go pretty fast. I can move on to the next chapter. Maybe I can combine some chapters. And then, you know, 10 pages later, I'm like, well, I don't think that's going to work. Um, because, again, there is, like the rest of Scripture, the surface is, you can move pretty fast over the surface, but if you decide to go a little deeper, you start pulling things out from it. Um, and again, all of that to say is because the book of Ruth does point to Christ. Uh, there is a point to Ruth being recorded in Scripture. It's not just about some people uh, these people actually have some great significance, again, not only for our edification, but because Ruth, and spoil alert, she does marry Boaz. If you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, I apologize, I just ruined it for you. Um, She does marry Boaz. Even though we'll get to a cliffhanger in this chapter, uh, it does have a happy ever after ending. But the reason those two are together is because They are part of the lineage of Christ. Or they start the lineage of David, and again, it's part of the lineage of Christ. If you go into the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, um, they trace Christ's lineage back to, all the way back to David, 
and then you'll see some familiar names uh, such as um, Boaz and Ruth being mentioned pretty much in every lineage because it all kind of funnels back down to them. Uh, and then, of course, traces back to Adam if you go back that far. All right, so a quick recap. Elimelech took his family, Naomi and his two sons, from the land of Israel, out of the land of promise, into the land of Moab in order to look for grain, in order to look for food because there was a famine in the land of Israel. Again, I'm recapping all of this because this has some significance in what happens in chapter 3. And so he takes his family against God's uh, direct order, by the way, out of the land of promise into the land of Moab, a pagan land, in order to take care of things himself. Uh, instead of turning to God, instead of uh, repenting and saying, you know, God, please provide for us, decided to do things himself. And that doesn't always turn out well, especially if you read in other parts of Scripture, you'll find that uh, similar things happened, such as with uh, Abraham um, and others, didn't always turn out well when people try to do things themselves. They go, you know what, God, I got this. I think I can handle this. Uh, and so then they go and they do what they think they should do rather than conferring with God about what they should do. And of course, it doesn't end well for Elimelech. He dies in the land. His two sons die, leaves behind two widows. Naomi is a widow. She decides to go back to Israel. And of course, Ruth goes with her. Uh, and then, you know, we have that famous uh, part in Scripture where Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And ultimately, what she was saying and at the very end, your God shall be my God. I am going to go with you, and I'm going to go know the God of Israel. So Naomi and Ruth are in Israel at this time. They're back in Bethlehem, or Naomi's back in Bethlehem. This is the first time for Ruth. And things are not very rosy for them. Uh, you know, Scripture kind of it breezes over some points because it just assumes that the reader knows the um, kind of knows the the time in which this happened and knows the um, the events and so forth surrounding, so they don't feel the need to explain everything to you. But there was no there was no government welfare during that time. There was no way for people to uh, provide for themselves if they were uh, a widow. Unless Israel was adhering to uh, the Levitical code of the Levitical law of leaving um, wheat and so forth in the field for people to glean after the reapers went through. So really... Naomi and Ruth were facing a few different decisions. They could rely on the provisions of close family. Unfortunately, there was no close family. Uh, there were no brothers of Elimelech. Elimelech, of course, was dead. And so had two widows who had to fend for themselves. Uh, so they had to either rely on the provisions of close family or rely on the system of the gleaning, as in uh, Leviticus, or they would have to beg. So those were their options. Uh, again, not a very rosy prospect. On top of that, Naomi is dealing with, with much grief uh, at the loss of her husband, uh, the loss of her sons, 
Uh, she's dealing with some bitterness, as you read in previous chapters, about she just feels like God's hand is against her. Note, though, how she never curses God. She doesn't turn against God. She just feels weighed down. And that is a normal response. As we go through trials, it feels oftentimes like, you know, Lord, do you have it in for me? Because it sure does feel like it sometimes. And that is, that is Naomi's response. But she is also dealing with some bitterness. And it's important to not let your heart drift toward bitterness uh, when going through trials. So Ruth decides, you know what? Okay, we're here in Israel. We've cleaned the house. Everything's done. We need food. I'm going to go out into the fields behind the gleaners or behind the, the reapers and glean some of the grain left behind. And Naomi's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I did want to stop and say, there's a, a little section in Scripture that says, it just so happened that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And the sections of Scripture where it says, it just so happened, are really kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek tongue saying, a wink at the reader, so to speak, um, because nothing just happens. And there's much scripture to back that up. Uh, nothing just happens by accident. There is no chance uh, to quote a famous saying, there are no accidents. And so Ruth, really by design, enters the field of Boaz, unbeknownst to her. She has no idea who Boaz is. She has no idea what field she happens to wander into. And this is where I say you begin to see God's hand at work. It's easy to, to see things from that perspective, though, sometimes. To see things from it just so happened. Uh, there's things that happened by accident. Again, this is an encouragement for us, and I'll touch on this a little bit later, but this is actually an encouragement for us, uh, as Pastor Lynn stated. God is in control. We always have to keep that in mind. God is in control. He does have a purpose. He does have a plan. Even when it seems like everything is going against us and things are not always working out as they should, And you can actually see that again from the book of Ruth. None of this happened by accident. It was not by accident that Elimelech ended up in Moab. It was not by accident that Ruth was brought back to the land of Israel. Again, it was all with the purpose of bringing Ruth into Israel so that way she and Boaz could start the lineage of David and, of course, of Christ. Which speaks much towards the grace of God. God chose Ruth for this purpose. And why did he choose her? That's really kind of a big question. Why 
you know, why couldn't Boaz just marry a local Bethlehem girl and start the lineage that way? And it is quite interesting. If you look through the lineage of David and ultimately, again, the lineage of Christ, there are a few people who shouldn't belong in what would otherwise be a pure bloodline. You have Ruth. She's a Moabitess, which is, those people were, how shall I say this? Um, essentially, God said, I don't like those people. And it was with, with reason. The Moabites had tried to uh, wipe out the nation of Israel multiple times. They had tempted Israel into sin many times uh, with the aim of wiping them out. And so, and then they had also, uh, when Israel was passing through the wilderness and they came to the land of Moab, the king of Moab said, no, you, you can't pass through. In fact, uh, I think I'm going to take this opportunity to maybe wipe you out. And so God made a statement. You know what? The nation of Moab, it needs to go. And so really, Ruth was from an accursed people. But if you read back a little further, you run across another name, uh, Rahab, who, who all is familiar with Rahab the harlot. If you go back to uh, Joshua when he was sent to attack the, the city of Jericho, uh, Rahab was the one who hid the spies and who had faith in God and said, you know what, <laughs> remember me. When this city falls, rem remember me. And her and her family were redeemed out of that city. And she ultimately also became part of the lineage of Christ. There are also a few people in Israel through that lineage who are not great and fantastic characters either. And you would think that with a lineage of Christ that everything would be just pure and perfect. But such is not the case. Why, do you think? Again, it goes to... Uh, it speaks towards God's grace because we are not perfect. We are an accursed people. Why? Because it says you know, we're born in sin. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God in our hearts and in our actions, Christ still loved us. God still loved us and died for us and redeemed us, and made a way possible for us to come to God. And really, the book of Ruth is just saturated with that message because the kinsman redeemer keeps popping up constantly throughout the book of Ruth, and it's referring to Christ. But Ruth herself is a picture of us. We are, again, an accursed people. We need a redeemer. We are helpless, as Ruth was helpless at this time. Picture her position. She is a foreigner, but not just a foreigner. She's from the land of Moab. She's been trans transplanted, if you will, into the land of Israel, where most of the people would have an attitude against her. And so she's a widow. She's a burden upon society. She's not, she's not a virgin, and back then it was... Virgins got married first. Widows would maybe get married. And so her prospect of remarriage has 
gone down. But again, because she is a Moabitess, her prospect of marriage is even lower. And she has to provide for herself and Naomi. So she thinks. It's actually God who does the providing. He directs her to the field of Boaz. Boaz notices her. She finds favor in his sight. And he instructs his servants, you know what? I don't want her just to be one of the, uh, one of the poor people who follows the reapers and, and gleans what's left. I want her to actually take from what we're reaping. And so, and he allowed her to, as you read through those chapters, he allowed her to drink from his cup, from his jug, as he was working with his men. In a sense, he was saying, you know what? You are one of my servants. And he told his men, do not touch her. Don't say anything bad to her. I want you to protect her, in fact. And so she had protection in Boaz's fields. Fields, I should say, plural, because he had multiple fields. And so Boaz works alongside Ruth during the barley and the wheat harvest, it said. Which is, the barley harvest is about April and May. It goes into both months. And the wheat harvest starts in May. So he had roughly about a month, month and a half, maybe even two months of them working together. Boaz is kind of a cool character uh, because he's a wealthy landowner. He's a respected individual within the community. Uh, his title indicates that he's a man of power, uh, not only because of his wealth, but again, his, his integrity. Uh, he's respected. Um, there's also some of that translation leads more towards him also being a warrior, so he was quite capable of pretty much doing anything. Uh, and he could, if he so wished, sit in his house because he had a manager. I mean, he speaks with his manager in one of the chapters. He had a manager of the field. He could have said, you know what, um, do this, do that, and just sat in his house and let his managers take care of things. But Boaz himself goes out, he rolls up his sleeves, and he works alongside his men. Again, he's kind of a cool character. And in so doing, he's working alongside Ruth as well. And he is getting to know her. He's, he's observing her character. Let's not forget about Naomi. Naomi was left at home so Ruth could go out and glean in the fields. And Naomi is, is still struggling with grief and bitterness. And nothing is worse than being left at home alone when you're dealing with that sort of thing. Uh, depression is quite common. It sets in. Satan likes to get us off by ourselves. If he can isolate us and then just continually pound us with how alone we are, how horrible our circumstance is, how much we've missed out on, how... Uh, God has disappointed us, and the list is endless. And this is where we find Naomi when Ruth leaves the house. Ruth comes back, and Naomi's like, are we eating tonight? And Ruth said, you'll never believe what happened. And then recounts everything that happened to her, where she ended up, what field she ended up in, who she met. And a light bulb goes off. For Naomi, she's like, <laughs> Boaz 
is part of our family. Just so happened. And as Naomi responds, her response is, it shows a strengthening of her faith. Praise be to God. God hasn't forgotten me. He does still love me. He is providing. But Naomi is also kind of the stereotypical Jewish mother-in-law. Again, if you're familiar with Fiddler on the Roof, think of the matchmaker. And I'm told that many, many Jewish ladies past a certain point, they kind of start taking on this mindset because they look at their kids and their grandkids and it's like, you know what, I need, I need to go out and find some, some mates for you. And that's just the maternal instinct that starts kicking in. And so that starts to happen with Naomi. First, it's, oh, thank you, Lord. You, you do love me. You are providing. And then it's, wait a minute, did you say Boaz? And so for, again, about a month and a half, uh, two months, we have Boaz and Ruth working together and Naomi watching from the sidelines. And it gets to a point to where Naomi's like, you know what? Um, things are taking too long. We need to move this process along. Because Naomi said, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi, if you've noted, her focus has changed from herself and it is now focused on Ruth. That's what God does. When you turn your eyes back to God, that was one of the points of reading Jeremiah. When you turn your eyes back to God, uh, you'll find that they're no longer on yourself. And God begins to show you other people that he wants you to interact with. And one of those people in Naomi's life is Ruth. She's a lady in need. And God was like, you know what, Naomi? You have somebody right next to you who needs you, who needs your attention, who needs your encouragement, who needs your guidance. And so Naomi has really taken Ruth on as her daughter. And she says, should I not seek rest for you? Should I not seek your good, your benefit? Is Boaz not our relative? I don't know, you know. How's it going down there? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to him. So uh, Naomi has this, what she considers, a, a pretty good plan. Get dressed up, put some perfume on, and go down and make yourself known to Boaz, but to Boaz only. We'll pause for a moment and say, is this a good idea? Is this great advice? Now, I certainly would not consider this great advice for uh, modern day. Um, you know, this would not make sense to us in our day and age. Uh, you know, to tell a young lady, okay, yeah, I want you to go over to so-and-so's house and, you know, when he's asleep on his bed, uncover his feet and, you know, 
But in reality, this was not a real great idea either for this day and age. There was some social implications that this is why Naomi was telling Ruth to do that. But really, if you think about this for a moment, Ruth is being told to get dressed up nice, put on perfume, and to go down when it's getting dark to a barn full of men, find one of the men, and lay at his feet at night, and just hope nothing happens to you along the way there, while there, and on the way back. Naomi was really trusting in Boaz's character for one thing. And so this is where Naomi kind of takes things into her own hands and says, okay, I need to move things along. It's not always a good idea to do, uh, a good idea to do that. In this case, it all turned out well. Ruth did as she was instructed and walked herself down to the barn. She watched for Boaz. Now, she was a, a, a common face around that place at this time, so, you know, but she was usually in work clothes and didn't have perfume on and so forth. So I'm sure anybody who passed by it was kind of a, whoa. So we get to the, the barns at night. And the difference between Scripture and where Hollywood likes to take us is oftentimes very, very drastic. Hollywood would have uh, race, it made the scene quite racy. And what Ruth is actually doing here has, has nothing to do with the racy side of things. Boaz has been working with his men all day. They have reaped the barley, they've brought it into the barn, they have threshed it, which is, that's a lot of work. And now, after they've eaten, they've drunk, their hearts are merry because the, the harvest is in, and they've done a great day's work, they've had some wine, they're relaxing, Boaz goes to lay down at the foot of the pile of grain the base of the pile of grain. Why? Why there? Why didn't he just go back home? He was guarding his grain. What is the best time for thieves and raiders to come by? Is it when the grain is growing, starting to grow, when it's full grown, or when it's been harvested? When it's been harvested. They've done all the work. It's best to come in and steal the grain at this time. So he and his men are guarding their grain. Which again speaks towards Boaz's character. And so, but it also paints a picture. Boaz has settled down for the night And is in a state of mind to where he's not only relaxed, but he's also still on the alert because he is there guarding his grain. So he lays down, 
Ruth notes where he goes. When he falls asleep, she goes and uncovers his feet and then lays down at his feet. Somewhere in the middle of the night, Boaz's feet are cold. And like any person, you know, he wakes up, he's going to recover his feet. And as he does so, he notes there's a person at his feet. Now, his servants are scattered strategically around the barn. Nobody's at his feet. You don't, if you're going to guard something appropriately, you set up stations. You don't stack people on top of each other. And so there's nobody sitting next to Boaz when he falls asleep. But then when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he sees a person at his feet, and naturally he's startled. And he's extra startled to find out that there's a woman at his feet. It's not just a person coming in to steal the grain, it's a woman at his feet. And if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night, you'll find that suddenly, not just you know, because you have insomnia, but if you've suddenly been woken up in the middle of the night, your brain doesn't always think correctly. It's not always immediately in gear with uh, what's going on around you. And so, startled, he calls out, Who, who's there? And Ruth's response is, it's me. What does she say? She said, I am Ruth, your servant. And that's all she was supposed to do, by the way. According to Naomi, she was supposed to just identify herself and then wait for Boaz to respond. But then she goes, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I.e., would you marry me? This is a marriage proposal. She's asking Boaz to cover her, to be her, her covering, to be her husband. Note his response. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. There's some phraseology here. It's kind of interesting. So uh, let's quickly delve into uh, Boaz. He addresses her as daughter because he sees her as a younger woman and him as an older man. They, they estimate Boaz was probably late 30s, mid-40s, and Ruth was early 20s. And so he saw the age gap which back then wasn't too big of a deal, but because of Boaz's integrity, he sees there's an age gap. And what he has been doing the whole time, he's noticed Ruth, by the way. He, he's not completely dense, despite what Naomi thinks. He has noticed Ruth, and she has noticed him. And we get all of that from this interaction here. But... Boaz has been keeping his distance. He hasn't pressed himself upon her. He hasn't been forward with her. He's given her some time to not only adapt to the new countries that new country that she's in, but also she's a young lady. He's given her a chance to get to know other young guys and marry somebody her age. He's not going to saddle her with an old guy. And so imagine his, his surprise when she 
basically proposes marriage to Boaz. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He mentions that part because, again, she's a Moabitess. But her character, her integrity over this period of time and how she has interacted with Naomi has proved her character. He says, now it is true, I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. This is kind of where it takes kind of this hallmark spin in one sense, where there's, there's always this backstory and then, you know, tragic backstory, there's a romance, but, you know, things don't always go as we plan, and then it has a happily ever after ending, and so goes the book of Ruth. He says, just to let you know, there is another redeemer who's closer than I. This leaves the, the reader on the edge of their seat. If he'll redeem you, good, so be it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. And then he covers her. She lay at his feet until morning. But then she arose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This was to protect her reputation and to protect his reputation. And then he ends up giving her food to take home. Quite the man is Boaz. Then Ruth comes back to Naomi. Now, I imagine Naomi did not sleep much that night. She was probably up most the night. In anticipation, worry, and so because, and I say that because, remember, Ruth left before the sun has come up. This is very early in the morning. And Naomi is already up and waiting for her. Because as she comes through the door, she says, how did it go? What happened? And so Ruth recounts what happened. Now, Naomi makes a statement. She says, wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. Why would Naomi respond that way? Probably because Ruth was excited, but also a little anxious. Excited that she would be possibly marrying Boaz. Again, they've been working together. They have noticed each other. These, are, these were living people. And so they, as living people, they have emotions. They have everything that we have today. They noticed each other. They were both single. And as Boaz gives great kindness to Ruth and interacts with her in a kind way and is such the gentleman, I would imagine he has really kind of won her heart. And, of course, it's gone the other direction as well. So Naomi says, wait, settle down. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. 
You'll have to wait until you find out how things turn out. But Boaz won't rest until he settles the matter today. And even though that this is a cliffhanger point in that chapter, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. This is in the morning. As the men are going out to work in the fields, Boaz was already there waiting. So Ruth left, Boaz got up and went to the gate. Again, that shows you kind of the state of mind that they were in. Boaz is not letting the grass grow under his feet at this point. He's got a clear green light to Ruth. And I thought as I did the study, I was like, you know what? We could probably make it to chapter 4, but we're already running out of time. So we will have to do cliffhanger and leave it there. But what are the, what are the takeaways? What is the, the point of this chapter? And how can we apply this to our lives in this day and age? And especially, I was trying to think of a, a message, a way to tie this all in to... Uh, the new year that's coming up. Tomorrow is New Year's Day. The beginning of 2024. We're leaving 2023 behind. It's been a crazy year. At least for our family. And so, what are the takeaways? As I was doing this study, a couple of scriptures came to mind. One was in Joel, chapter 2. Verse 25 is what I was thinking about, where it says, I will restore you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. As a curse, by the way. But I'm going to back up to verse 12 in order to summarize. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. And it goes on. By the way, uh, Joel chapter 2 is the chapter that Peter preached on uh, during the day of Pentecost. This, there's a lot of fulfillment of Scripture. And as I read through that chapter, I was like, maybe I should put Ruth aside and talk on that chapter. It talks about the great and terrible day of the Lord when he returns. Terrible for those who don't belong to him, but great for those that do. But also it talks about how his spirit will come into the hearts and minds of man permanently for those who have entrusted their hearts to him. The other scripture that came to mind was Jeremiah chapter 29, which is where Pastor Lynn read today. Verses 11 through 14 are, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That, by the way, is a very famous quote, as you've probably seen it on calendars, and I think I even had it on a check at one time. Um, you know, people carry it in their Bibles, it's bookmarked, it's, it's pretty much plastered everywhere. It's one of those uh, feel-good scriptures. It is tied, however, as Pastor Lynn read, to 
some not so great and wonderful things that have happened to Israel when they were in Babylon in their captivity because of their sin. This is a call to return to God. Return to me, says God, and I will give you peace. I will give you all that you need. Verse 12 of Jeremiah chapter 29 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Kind of interesting, though, verse 11 comes before all of that. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, does not rely upon us, by the way, in other words. It says, I know the plans I have for you. Jump down to verse 12. Then you will call upon me. Because God has that as part of his plan. You will call upon me. Both of these scriptures talk about God restoring what is lost. And we have to keep in mind that this is not always physical. But it is always spiritual. He will always restore our hearts. He will always restore our communion with him. Our physical circumstances may not be great and wonderful, but as we turn our eyes to God, he will change the circumstances of our hearts, change the circumstance, or I should say, the focus of our minds. So again, what are some of our takeaways? Back to that. First takeaway, as we talked before, we need to be careful about doing things in our own strength of on our own without committing things to God. God says to commit our, sorry, there we go. God says to commit our works, our ways to him, and he will direct our steps. That's every moment of every day. Commit yourself to the Lord. Be committed to him. Let him guide you. Let him direct you. Naomi's response, instead of saying, you know what, let's, let's move this direction. Let's move things along. Instead, perhaps she should have said, you know what, let's, let's go to God and bring this before him and see what he has to say about this. That's what you should do. Lord, what do you have to say about this? Where should I go? What should I do? The other takeaway is remember that God is in control and he has a plan that he will accomplish. He is involved in every moment of our lives. It's no accident. There are no accidents. The book of Ruth is not an accident. It didn't happen by chance, even though they use that tongue-in-cheek phraseology. And by the way, that is also used to present things from our earthly perspective because it does look like things happen by chance a lot of times until you stand back and you say, and you can see the big picture of how God is working. Nothing happens by chance. God is in control and he is involved in every aspect of our lives. So we should take encouragement from that. That is really kind of the wrap-up of this. We should be encouraged by the fact that our God is in control. He is in control of 2023, 
2022, 2021, et cetera, and he will be in control of 2024 and however many more years until his return. God has a plan that he's already laid out. Nothing surprises him. The book of Ruth did not surprise God at all. So we should take encouragement from that. In Psalm 46, 2, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. We're also further encouraged by Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. These promises are yours if you belong to Jesus. But that's, that's the catch. You have to belong to Jesus. Otherwise, you are just adrift. Not knowing what will happen tomorrow and trying to hold on to everything yourself. Like the little boy in the dike who's constantly plugging holes with his fingers. Eventually, you're going to run out of fingers. My encouragement to you is if you don't know Jesus, come to him. Accept him. Accept those promises that he has for you, that he will be with you even to the end of the age. And for those who do know Christ, again, my encouragement to you is that he will be with you until the end of the age. He is with you now. He's with you always. And he does have a plan. He does have a purpose. And you fit into that. You are part of that. That's amazing that God includes us in his plan, that we are part of that, and that he is intricately involved in every moment, every detail of our lives. One of the fascinating things I love to do when I read through scripture is look for God's fingerprints. As I read through these stories, like I said, it's easy to skim through the book of Ruth. It's easy to skim through the book of Esther. Look for God's fingerprint. Look for God's hand at work. Look for God's hand at work in your life. Step back. He, he instructs, us, instructs us to do so in Scripture, to look back over our lives and see where he's been at work. And I think you'll be amazed to see, oh, wow, yeah. I couldn't have done that by myself. I couldn't have orchestrated that. Our God is awesome. We serve an awesome God. And so again, my encouragement for you for this coming year is to rest in him, to rest in, rest in his arms. Know that he has everything in control, even when it's not great and fantastic. And that's hard to remember. Even when it's not great and fantastic, he is still there. And all you have to do is call out to him.